Battleship! Battleship! Battleship, Milton Bradley's great game of strategy. It's loaded with action and suspense. Play it anytime, anywhere. B4, hit. J1, huh, you missed. J10. Oh, you saw my battleship. <laughs> battleship. So when you look at your marketing strategy or content marketing strategy, are you playing chess or checkers or battleship? Hold that thought just for a second because the old saying about chess versus checkers is, of course, meant to illustrate that you either have an adult, sophisticated strategy thinking four moves ahead, or on the checker side, you're thinking in one dimension where all the pieces have the same value, a children's game. Chess is always meant to convey the sophisticated, complex, long game, and checkers the simple, children's short game. Think about it for a second. When was the last time you saw a Bond villain, or any movie criminal mastermind for that matter, playing a game of checkers? That's right. King me, Mr. Bond. Probably not going to happen. But you know, it's not really quite that simple. They certainly are different games, but each certainly has its place. With checkers, it's a lot faster than chess, usually, with you reacting mostly to quick moves and in real time. Computer models, in fact, have shown that the perfect game of checkers ends in a tie. But there's an interesting challenge in that simplicity. With chess, of course, there's the idea that you make a mistake and you can actually recover for it. In checkers, one wrong move and you're usually defeated. So it's both the short game and the long game, and that's a common piece of advice that we hear today when we're getting into our content marketing and marketing strategies. We've got to have our eye on the short-term gains while we simultaneously stay focused on the longer-term strategy. But there's a third thing here, and that brings me to my old friend Battleship. One of the things that makes Battleship such a great game is that you start with no idea where your opponent's pieces are. You are quite literally forced to make guesses initially and build upon those guesses by constructing an image of both the long and short game in your head. In other words, you're forced to start the game a bit blind. And all three of these make up the marketing strategy of our time, and the content marketing strategy certainly. And this is the theme of our show today. Checkers, chess, or battleship, or all three. Where's your plan for your content and your career? And with that, it's time for me to say, King me, check, and you sunk my battleship and get our little weekly game started. You ready to open with Joe's Gambit or Robert's Scottish Defense? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 137 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, June 27th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, the king of the chessboard of content marketing, and the guy who had just the best week of anybody on the planet, Mr. Joe Polizzi. I'd ask how you are, but I know how you are. I am still in... I've got a glow about me, Robert. It's, uh, <laughs> An orange glow, uh, as it were. It's so. It was so interesting, because as you know, you know, we recorded early last week, because I had to right. be on the plane to London. So we're on the plane, and, and I knew right. that wasn't you know we weren't able to watch the game. So I got Wi-Fi. So good thing United had Wi-Fi uh, from New York over to London. So great, got Wi-Fi, and my son Adam and I were listening to the game. He had one earphone, I had the other, and we're listening to the game right next to like we're nuzzled next to each other. Everyone else on the plane is sleeping because it's absurdly late. And we listened to them win the the game, and it was so as as they won. First of all, they won. Cavs won, and I didn't believe it. I was like, somebody must be. This must not be true. I must be getting a different signal from like Bizarro World because there's no way <laughs> right, that this could exactly. possibly happen. So as I'm trying, so the. At, as they won, and, and we're trying not to wake anybody up, but we're so excited, and we're holding each other, and then the flight attendant comes by, and he grabs us, and he starts hugging us. 
Because <laughs> he, he was a Cleveland fan. Oh, no. So we got this whole thing, this group hug thing going. And while they're like, oh, what is what happened? What's the final score? I'm trying to find two or three more sources of information to corroborate what I just heard. Right, exactly. Because you're just making it. This, this can't be real. I didn't it think it happened. I, didn't, I absolutely didn't think it happened. But no, it did. We were. It was nice. It was interesting being, you know, of course, we missed the big parade, the 1.3 million people being down here in Cleveland to celebrate, you know, first championship in 52 years. But it was it yeah. was nice walking around London in our Cleveland shirts and everybody coming up to us and congratulating us. There's more, you know, there's more basketball fans in, in uh, London that you than you'd think. And then you were, and then you were there, of course, to make your big Brexit. Oh from was that just weird to be there during that whole time? It was super strange. Now, granted, we were in a lot of the touristy areas, so we didn't see a lot of the business people per se. But sure. you know, as we were, we were having breakfast um, and watching the prime minister resign, and I was looking around at the other people there, and the one guy in front of me had a tear in his eye, and he looked uh-huh. like the world is en- had ended. So. It was uh, it was unfortunate. You you could at least it the people un- we were around. I mean, I we didn't go to the outskirts of the city. The people that mostly voted to leave, but the people we were around seemed pretty upset by the whole thing. So, I think well as as we've seen in the last couple of days. I mean, there seems to be there seems to be quite a bit of regret now. Like, wow, really? We were just protesting. We didn't really mean it. <laughs> we did. We did. You, you mean you really were? Are, the vote counts? <laughs> oh, I, I just read the article about Scotland now trying to move forward with their partnership in the Oh, EU. have you seen her, the, 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 the head of the, the, the Scottish uh, party? Did you see her speech? No. I didn't. It was. It's really wonderful. Oh, I'll have it's to like, watch it. You know, it's there. There's a wonderful piece in the. I was watching one of the evening news, uh, the UK evening news, and they were like, the only one who seems to have a strategy out of all this is the head of the Scottish Party. So yeah, she, her speech is really quite good. Oh, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to check it out. But it was. It yeah. was somber to say that. I think that everyone was in disbelief that yeah. that it actually happened. So and then now you've got what. Two years of uncomplicated, if they're even going to do it, which there's no, it yeah, might not think, even happen, but yeah, you've got this whole uncomplicated. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see if it actually takes effect because it's a non-binding referendum. So we'll see if they actually, if parliament actually does it or not. So there's three million signatures as we go to air here on uh, saying basically, can we have a do-over? Oh my, is that even possible? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was, just a, it was a non-binding referendum. So they, well, you know, I'd look, I don't understand UK parliamentary law and all of that to understand if it's really possible but it seems like if it's non-binding parliament could simply say yeah we're not going to do it thanks for the vote folks but we're not going to do it and but i mean you would have a lot of angry people but um it would be it would be interesting to see i mean it would be interesting to see if there is a change in leadership if that boris guy actually does become prime minister but then they actually don't do it and that's it would be a fascinating thing to watch yeah good luck with that uh, yeah, exactly. I, just, yeah, exactly. I really, I, and, yeah, and my exactly. son was. I'm just glad that they. I'm just glad that the U.S. hasn't cornered the market on stupid. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, you let's know, just hope. Is. Let's just hope that uh, we'll come through this year unscathed with uh, with all the things Indeed. that are happening here. Okay, Robert. Before we get started, yes, we have a new believe thing. Believe it or not, yeah, believe about. it or not, we actually have an episode sponsor for today, and today's episode sponsor is Hrefs. And I had the opportunity to see this tool in action. I'm very impressed by it. And basically, if you want to, one, get found in Google, two, understand more about who's linking to you, three, understand how your competition is being ranked and who's linking to them, four, pull data in to sculpt your future content, uh, including keyword suggestions and whatnot, and then five, know what content is most shared that you have per keyword that's out there, your content, and then content per keyword. Hrefs is a fascinating tool, so if you can, give them a try. If it sounds interesting to you, the great part is they have a 14-day free trial, so you can give it a go. And then specifically for PNR listeners, you get a 30% discount if you uh, if you use the tool. You can go to cmi.media slash pnr137a, nice little Spin on that, cmi.media slash pnr137a. <laughs> of course, you can also go in the show notes and check it out. So thank you to Hrefs for being our episode sponsor and give them a try if you can. So there we go. I love it. Absolutely. Love the name. I absolutely love the name. That's a that's a throwback name. It, that's one of those that classic is, names. That is a right? throwback. Everything seems to be going back 
back yeah. in time. These I mean, the days. kids, the kids these days, they need a little education on about what HRAF really is all about. But um, yeah, but you and I know you and I. We'll just yeah. leave it at that. Oh God! Exactly. All right. Do we have uh, do we have news? We, we do, do have news. news. Absolutely. It's uh, our the top of the news for our show is comes from our favorite platform that we love to hate here and um and basically big hat tip by the way here to james gardner who is a longtime friend and family of the show and sent this in and we're going to pair two stories about our favorite friend facebook here together the first because they just go so nicely as a little weird sandwich here um and the headline is did facebook just deliver a crushing blow to native advertising this comes courtesy of fast company um and the article starts out by saying everyone assumes that if facebook were to drop an and on media companies, it would come in the form of an algorithm reconfiguration, a change in the revenue split on instant articles, or some combination of the two. But for the increasing number of publishers that rely on native advertising to make ends meet, Facebook may have already delivered a brutal blow. It started with a seemingly innocuous announcement on April 8th in a blog post. Facebook announced that it would start allowing publishers to share native ads right on their Facebook pages. Most of the press treated this as a good thing for media companies, which could now promote native ads to their sizable audiences. Basically, then the article goes on to talk about how they're going to now allow a tag or force, quite frankly, a tag for these ads so that you know, and basically it appears like we are with a brand um, right there at the top. And it gives the brand that's being that's paying for the placement some extra analytics and information and data on what's actually happening. And the article goes on to question basically, hey. If media companies start doing this now, are they pulling back the covers and now have to be too transparent and aren't selling the snake oil of reach anymore because the brands can see the actual data? I mean, what, I, mean I have a take on this, but I want to get yours first, Joe. What did, what did you think about this in the sort of in the scheme of life? Well, how how long have we been talking about this kind of thing happening? And Facebook is so good at luring <laughs> publishers in. And how good are they at getting publishers to spend money with them? I know we're going to talk a little bit about how Facebook is spending money to get uh, publishers and content creators right. on their platform. That's what we're pairing this that, with, right? So it's kind of going both ways. It's just really weird that they're, the media companies are actually spending mass amount of money, uh, mass amounts for marketing uh, because they're going to have to boost these posts. But I think that the big issue here is that because you have to sort of link it, they're going from somewhat deceptive to transparent. So whoever you're doing the 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 sponsor content with you actually have to show that that they get access to those results and they'll see first so basically i mean correct me if i'm wrong it looks like if you are now a media company and you're doing this on facebook you have to be transparent you're forced to be transparent with the company that's sponsoring that's paying you money they're going to see all the stats and they're going to know you're marketing marking it up more than you should so you're going to have to make your money off the content creation and the distribution you're going to get basically what agencies get 10 or 15% commission right is that <laughs> right? Well, in a in, in some fantasy land, they're getting ten percent commission. Yeah, I mean, some you know, or a pa- like maybe it's just a pass or through. Six or yeah, four yeah. It becomes a pass through. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I look I, to me. I mean, to borrow your favorite phrase from so many of these, I don't really see what the news is here. Um, this seems to me that Facebook has to give brands a way to look at this and quite frankly has to provide for an official platform for uh, media companies to be able to monetize this. Um, you know, and so I look at this and go, great, this is, you know, if you're confident in your product and you're confident in what you can do, then this is a, this is just a, here's now here we're making an analytics tool and a, and a sort of a, an official quote unquote platform for this to exist. What I think the article is getting at, and I think is is core to what you're saying here, is that you know th- this all depends. What your basic, what media companies are now depending upon, is an official platform where from the from Facebook, who actually makes the rules about how your thing is going to actually yep. get displayed, yep. and so. It's a really weird kind of situation where the media companies now are not selling a product. They're selling what they kind of know is a product, right? They don't really know what, you know, how much money do we have to actually spend to get the reach that we just promised? So they're reselling a product that they don't really even have all the rules on and quite frankly, don't control the rules. Facebook could change the rules at any time. And so operating a margin in that is going to be just extremely difficult, I have to imagine. Well, the the article is actually interesting because it says 
because of the way that this is going to be set up, you probably won't get as much organic reach from the media company's audience. So that means you're going to have to spend more to boost the article. Exactly. Right? right. So, that, so theoretically, you're, you're, you're charging the media company more than you would spend in that's the promoted right. post. Sure. So you're basically saying, so, so why should the brand then go with the media company unless you want the content created? Because the brand can go out and boost their own post. They don't need the publisher to do that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what? So who cares? I'll boost it. Just go ahead. You create the content. I'll go ahead and boost the whole thing. This is what – and I do think it's news. It's a continuing part of what we've been talking about for what you just mentioned. It's really critically important. More and more media companies and their business models are now uh, dependent on Facebook. That's and right. let's go to the second article because I think that's what's sure. critical, right? What- well, this – and so as the sort of alternate sandwich here, which just – now this, not to pat ourselves on the back here, but literally last week we predicted this. We, to- we talked about this. So a week later here it is sort of coming to light here. The headline – the article comes from the Wall Street Journal and the headline here is Facebook makes a deal to pay for media companies, celebrities, and others to use Facebook Live. The article opens up by saying Facebook has inked contracts with nearly 140 media companies and celebrities to create videos for its nascent live streaming service as the social network positions itself to cash in on a lucrative advertising market that has yet to tap and keep its 1.65 billion monthly users engaged. The company has agreed to make payments to video creators totaling more than $50 million, according to a document reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Its partners include... Media outfits like CNN, the New York Times, digital publishers like Vox, Tastemade, Mashable, and the Huffington Post, and celebrities include Kevin Hart, Gordon Ramsay, Deepak Chopra, and NFL quarterback Russell Wilson. I, that's an odd grouping, by the way. But <laughs> that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. You know, I, I need me some Russell Wilson podcast anyway. So I'm going to move on from that. The arrangements are a way to encourage publishers to produce a steady stream of high quality videos until Facebook figures out a more concrete plan to compensate creators such as through sharing of ad revenue. So we talked about this. In order to attract more people to use the platform and increasingly brands like we just talked about, they're going to pay these people to actually do it. I mean, it's amazing how I say it and it happens. (laughs) And it's not jump change either. either. I mean, you look at, let's see, BuzzFeed, they're paying $3.1 million. New York Times, $3 million. CNN, $2.5 million. I mean, in the long run... You might say, "Oh, their revenues are much larger," but that's a that's a that's probably a top five account for them. Regard if you said it said, "What's your biggest account?" You said it's you know for a media company, it's in the three three million dollar, two million dollar, three million dollar range. That's a big client. So, well, here's the thing: they're making money on making money, right? So here's here's BuzzFeed that gets paid, let's say three million bucks to do live videos. Yeah. And of that $3 million, that gives them now, let's say, an operating budget of 1.5. Let's do half. 1.5 to spend on promoted posts for the advertisers that are actually that – are, so that's free money. Basically, everything they make over the top of that is free money. So it's margin on margin. That's right. It's, it, now, to your point that you were just making 13 seconds ago, how long does that last? Because what you're betting on is, is that Facebook is going to actually continue to do that over time and and you have to imagine they're going to be watching the performance of these videos and going if you don't perform you don't get paid well it it could be that or it could be okay what we have to do is really get these media companies addicted to live video and we've got to incentivize them to use it okay so now they're using it and now they're making more money off it and they're just oh they're loving it it's really really working well and then facebook's gonna say you know we're gonna stop all that payment stuff because you know you're fine now you're good. You're using it. We like you. Or to your point, we don't, or we're going to drop the payment. Or they could just be holding a contest for the ones that Facebook's going to buy. So or they, <laughs> maybe they don't even have to buy. I mean, oh, well said. It, yeah, that's an that's an interesting thing. Well, that's right what there, I would yeah. do. I mean, they're basically saying, hey, we're going to pay all these people. It's like instead of right. like launching exactly. a media company, so then we're going to just buy BuzzFeed and CNN or whatever. I know that sounds ridiculous right now, but it's not that ridiculous. This could no. Happen. Give them you're you're basically giving them all you're basically giving them all a little kit and basically saying, look, we're all going to give you the same amount of you know. I mean, I know it's not exactly this, but basically the, a relative amount of tools and dough to actually go do something. Go do something interesting, and if the one who's the most interesting 
we might we might purchase you. Might just buy might buy you, or or they'll say, oh, well, we really don't need you, um, or they'll say, oh, you've done a great job, just keep doing it, but I'm not going to pay you the three point one million dollars anymore because you're fine. Right. Just keep doing yeah. it. And they, and they can't do anything different because BuzzFeed, for example, is a really good situation. Their business model is inherent to Facebook. If Facebook dropped off the face of the earth, BuzzFeed would suffer drastically, right? Right. Not right. as much for the well, New York Times. Yeah. New York Times would be okay. CNN would be okay. BuzzFeed, not so much. Huffington Post yeah. would really hurt. So it's interesting to see how these things are happening. It's a venture fund. Basically, what they've launched here is a venture fund, and they're basically funding Based media companies and seeing which one and they're, you know, they've got a little portfolio going there and seeing which ones will work. Because quite frankly, if BuzzFeed takes this for long enough and gets addicted to it, quite frankly, gets addicted to that revenue, if it starts to ramp down over time or goes away, they're going to have to make it up. And guess what they'll do? They'll actually, they'll actually reinvest back into Facebook and say, now I have to make it up by selling more to advertisers and buying more promoted posts. And, and over time, that three and a half million dollars a year is going to seem like chump change because they're going to be getting that back in spades. It's just so weird that we are seeing this in our time. That I, I mean, if I'm Zuckerberg, he's thinking there's the internet and there's Facebook. They're right. really that's exactly they're right. really becoming this separate entity up to themselves that can survive without anything else. And the publishers are all helping them do that. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just, we're just standing back here watching it. We're just we're yeah. we're sitting in the cheap seats watching this thing happen, and I'm right. just like it, it is just amazing to me how smart Facebook is and how vulnerable media companies are right now. They're not stupid; they know exactly what they're doing and they know what position they're getting into. But they're very vulnerable because this money is huge. I mean, I don't even know if you want to go into the next one, but the the next one talks about. I think uh, the next article is just about the money being spent in native right now. It's it all sorts That's of right. feed, feeds together. So. Yeah, well, that's a, and so it's a nice segue here because as a takeaway for marketers, I think what we can say is, look, as if you're a marketer in this situation, you're in a really great position because it is now a buyer's market when it comes to this stuff, and you just need to be really care- take advantage of the situation while you have it, right? You know, native and and targeted ads and all those kinds of things that you can do to pay for promotion is a really interesting um, way to actually uh, start to start to look at this. Well, so. Um, this it segues nicely into our next story, which comes, ironically enough, courtesy of the Huffington Post. Um, and a big hat tip here to Chad Pollitt, who is actually also the author of this article. And Chad always seems to come up with some just great research here. Um, and this is just fascinating. The headline here is 2016 Native Advertising Trends for Publishers. The article opens up by saying, according to a study released late last year by ad you like and i've looked at that and i went what and it was like oh it's ad you like worldwide spending on native advertising will soar to 59 billion dollars in 2018 cisco's the zettabyte era trends and analysis found that global ip traffic will increase nearly threefold over the next five years this means more eyeballs and more demand for content some point to the internet of things as being the culprit of all this internet traffic but actually in that same study cisco estimates that content delivery networks will carry 64 percent of all internet traffic by 2020 up from 45 percent in 2015 for publishers that have embraced native advertising these numbers look quite promising On the surface, it looks like a pretty large opportunity. He then goes on to talk in this article about the percentages, the challenges the publishers will have in rolling out this product to marketers, basically all the stuff that we've just been talking about, but puts it into these numbers and research. Really just a great article, I thought. What did you think? Well, lots of interesting research here. I mean, if you look at the spending, if this is correct, I mean, it, it it's, I don't know what the error, I didn't look at the margin of error on this, but it looks like 19% of, uh, is it advertising budget is going to native yeah. advertising. And then yeah. in a year that'll increase to 33%, at least according to this research. Is that, that I think that's what I read. Yeah, that's exactly That's a right. big jump. Yep. That's a big that's a jump. And he's, jump. Chad's basically saying, look, we're going from early adoption to into maturity. And yeah. that's just something to see that we, we, we're seeing more and more brands take this on. Now, what does disturb me? I don't know if you caught this, but when you go to the line item that says, uh, what are the biggest native advertising opportunities for your company? And it says written content, video content. Uh, strategy is one of the lower ones at 26%. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that 
is really indicative <laughs> of what we are seeing. We are seeing that media companies are being approached over and over by brands to do stuff. And the right. stuff does not. And take- stuff is the strategic word there, right? The st- it is. It yeah. not to not you know not to not to force the theme of the show down our throats here, but it is. They are playing checkers only. They are not playing chess at all here. Well, and the media companies aren't questioning the stuff, and that's yeah. the that's the issue. <laughs> I, I I just went to a media conference and I talked at will with a number of large question me- this stuff. They don't question. They don't. They're like, oh, you want to do these videos and you want to do this multimedia storytelling and you want to do this. Right. And the media companies exactly. are like, yeah, we could do it. They don't exactly. ask, should you do it? They don't ask, how does it integrate with your overall strategy? They don't ask, what is the outcome that you really want to see at the end of the day? I mean, they try to get to it, but really they say, yeah, we could do that. Let's roll. You know, they I, yeah. they just roll down I the sat, windows. They're going down the road. They're like, "Hey, we can create all kinds of content for you." I <laughs> sat in a I sat in a room full of publishers, and I was sitting with the and and when I say publishers, I mean sort of the classic job title publishers. So basically, read VP of sales for these publishing sure. companies. And so I was sitting in this room with them, and the and it was after my talk, and the publishers, you know, a few of them raised their hand. One person raised their hand, and and he asked, he said, he said, so how do we deal with the idea that when we go in and talk to these brands, all they want us to do is like create an article, but they want their logo in the front and center of that article. And I said, why don't you sell them a strategic program that, that gets into the strategy of why they're doing this to begin with? And he goes, wow, that's a really great idea. And I said, no, that's not a great idea. That is something that should occur to you naturally. That is something. Why am I the guy telling you this? I should not be the guy telling you this, but (laughs) you know, this is this is I can yeah, just is, picture you saying, look, look at this. I shouldn't be telling you this. You should yeah, just know this. Exactly. Who do you work is, for? You should just yeah, quit exactly. now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I thought this was fascinating. I will say here's the thing I the to the one of the early statistics that sort of hangs all of this is the idea that this comes from that Cisco study where it said that 64% of all internet traffic will be content delivery networks. I'm going to guess in that 64% we have content networks like Netflix and Hulu yes, and YouTube absolutely. and all of those. And so we need to be careful to put our sort of focus here on this isn't we're not talking about more blogs and more facebook we are talking of course about more blogs more facebook more not you know social network traffic but primarily that increase i believe and i don't have the data to back this up but i'm gonna hunch that the most of that data is coming from the video traffic that's coming from sort of filmed entertainment across the classic sort of new networks yeah, I would t- I would totally agree with that. I think that the one thing that I the final thing that I get hung up with in this article and we talked about it many episodes, but it was one in particular where I did that one session in New York where I was we were asking the consumers like do they recognize this as sponsored content? What do they do, does advertisement resonate? Does paid content? So 52% of the sponsors use sponsored content, but yet when a consumer sees sponsored content, they don't know what that means. Right. <laughs> That's what this article is saying. Right, exactly. So it's like, right. okay, uh, so basically they're just content is content, which which then it comes back to, hey, if you're a publisher, media company, you've got to really be concerned that it's quality content, which is why you have to be more selective, why you can't just accept any old content as sponsored content. I mean, that's right. You know, we struggle with it as well on this show and with CM with everything. So it's just it's a concern. I just don't man, this is like the native advertising show here that we're doing, but I I'm really I'm really starting to get concerned that there this is happening so fast that in with strategies that make literally no sense or don't exist at all that you've got content run amok. And it's going to get really, really ugly. And then a lot of, and we've seen this in our own research where you got a lot of people that are saying, look, it just doesn't work because they're, they're not doing real content marketing strategy. They're really just doing, Hey, let's create a lot of content and let's get some publishers to help us promote it. And we'll see what happens and we'll, we'll call it engagement and this will be great. 
That's exactly right. I mean, well, I, you know, I guess I have a little bit, well, one, I certainly have faith in the listeners to this show that that they'll begin to get yeah. these things right, um, which is a good thing. And they'll start looking at that strategic approach to content rather than, you know, even if it's just sort of, you know, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about with CEOs and CMOs of late is when they start saying, well, tell me why I should have a strategic approach to content, you know, to give me the business case. And I'll say, let me just give you one simple one. Are your people creating more or less content this, this year than last? More, exponentially more. Great. Why? And inevitably they go, because we have to, or because we do, or because they don't really have a good business reason. I'll go, that, there's your business case. If the if even the only reason to, is to get your arms around why you're creating content to begin with, there should be a strategy behind it. If that, even if that's the only reason, you don't want to increase sales, you don't want to increase the loyalty, you don't want to put more leads in the funnel, you don't want to engage more people, you don't want to build an audience, you don't. Let's let's just assume none of that is. If if you're creating more and more content, at some point it's a real cost to your business and it's a real distraction to what you do for a living. If even for the only reason is to get your arms around that and understand why you're doing it to begin with, that's business case enough. If Because without it, it's just this process run amok and you're going to find yourself spewing out money out of the back of the business. So just to get, just get your arms around it. And then go, great, now, if now can we optimize it and make it a cool business strategy? We think we, you can, yep. but there is, no, there is no sane reason to not do it. That's my favorite question after I give a presentation where somebody, and I actually had, so I was in London presenting at the B2B Marketing Summit, and they had this uh, fancy electronic question system. So as soon as I was done, oh, all, these, yeah, all these electronic questions are coming up, and the moderator's asking me. And the one was, started with, since us B2B marketers have to create so much content, that was how it started. That's how the question started, and then it was whatever was after that. And I just stopped right, right there. I'm like, whoever asked this... Well, who says you have to create more content? Right, exactly. Whoever right. said there's, that more content no needed to be created? But it's, uh, we, we, you're right. To your point, we just assume, oh, we have to create all this content. Why? Why? That's why I love that little <laughs> exactly. exercise that you and I talk about, that, the why exercise, where yeah, you take exactly. one audience group and you list all the ways you communicate with that audience, and then you list the business reason for why you do that. And right. nobody's ever been able to complete it, ever. Since I've tried worked, I've done it with over fifty companies. Nobody can complete it. So why do you have that blog? Like, what's the business right. reason for it? Why do you have the e newsletter? Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. Why are you right. on Facebook? You B two B manufacturing company, right? <laughs> you, you, you just you just said that like it was, you B two B manufacturing company. Like really? Company. Like why? You, do you, you just beat? sit down in your corner and shut up? Because, because somebody said they had to. Somebody told yeah. them that they should have one, and they didn't have a good business reason for it. I'm all for experimentation, but okay. now is the time. We're at a point where we can start asking ourselves these questions and stop doing some of the things that aren't working. So that's exactly right. Anyways, that's exactly yeah. right. All right. Well, if we haven't beat up enough on media companies in this show, we're going to beat up on one more because this one sounded like it came. I mean, I was looking for Hooli um, when I when I saw this article. The article itself comes from The Verge, uh, and it the headline is Tronk. <laughs> I can't even say the name without laughing. Trunk threatens a nightmare hellscape of video content and new video for employees. Uh, article <laughs> it's, opens just, up. it's an it's outrageous article. article. Yes. Yeah, it's an outrageous article. The article opens up by saying, it has been less than three weeks since Tribune, one of the world's most storied media companies and publisher of the Los Angeles Times, my hometown newspaper, Chicago Tribune, gloriously... <laughs> <laughs> gloriously, gloriously rebranded itself as Tronk. Um, Tribune newspapers were responsible for some of the best journalism in the past century. Tronk, according to its <laughs> leaders, would instead serve as a content curation and monetization engine. Um, it then goes on on I, what I can safely say is a scathing review of two videos that Tronk has produced, one for employees in which it sort of tries to explain how video content is sort of the new black um, and everything they do will be syndicated and created in video and those sorts of things. Um, and the second, which is, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a bad review, which is sort of this voiceover B-roll footage, basically talking about how 
content and Tronk is a really interesting thing. I, I what? Well, so I guess article aside, what what did you what do you think of Tronk and the sort of the strategy that they're putting forward? I, I gotta read this part. But it says the video is meant to rally the troops, the employees for a massive reorganization, but is undercut by surreal graphics showing Tronk as a colorful Death Star with massive antenna (laughs) that have emerged to slurp up every content planet in the known universe. I'm just like, you can't, whoever wrote this, thank you. Just thank yeah, you. It's really for, good. For just it's, reading it's something really that's fun. We don't always get the opportunity to do this. Here's my question. It's a very serious question, too. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the mission is outside of uh, content tactics. I mean, there's lots of things like we're going to use. Well, that's what that whole video spends. Yeah, we're going to yeah, use that machine. whole video basically talks about yeah. tactics. We're going to use machine learning and we're going to do content optimization, right. whatever people think that is. And we're going to yeah. build these things together. And there's nice graphics that show, you know, things going in one end and coming out the other end a whole different, you know, whatever, right? Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, this is great. But what are we trying to do? What is the mission? What's the vision? What's the broader vision? But it seems like what we were just talking about with brands. It seems very tactical for the business models that exist right now that in six months won't be there so right right. now as this is launched right now you could say yeah this could work we could monetize that now but it doesn't mean in six to nine months it's going to work so that's what i'm afraid of is that we're doing all this stuff based on this is how people engage with content at you know on june 27 2016 but that's going to change so what's well, the broader right. and, mission and, I mean, behind there? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to help well, the world exactly in some way? Right. Are we trying to do something different that I didn't get from it? No, it's. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, because here's the thing. We both know how long it takes and how big a company Tribune really is. And to make the little Death Star or I mean, my favorite, my favorite part of the article was when it said the X there is basically the sigil for House Bolton <laughs> Game of Thrones, which is just so great. Such a great comment. But basically all those little animated GIFs where their information goes in one logo and comes out the other logo. That's a great thing if you had it today. But what what the video is implying is is that quite frankly this is stuff that's going to take months if not years to take place and quite frankly by the time we get to March of 2017 or quite likely December of 2017 and this can actually start to take place then we're really talking about well what is it what is what are we you know we've just built a we've just spent you know 18 months building something that's already out of date it it actually remind and I look it it could work it, it might. It might. <laughs> it just, so you're saying there's a chance. There's, a, there's always a chance. We've been wrong many times. And we like, That's you know, exactly. we're not right yeah. all the time. But, you know, when I was, um, let's see, this is 2001 at Pent Media. This is when uh, virtual uh, vertical networks were huge. And yeah. the, like Vertical right. Net was launched and we had multi-billion dollar valuations. This is before everything slid down into the pit of despair. Um, So we were still, we were like, oh, we've got to take advantage of this. So we built these virtual vertical uh, rooms because we we had to take advantage of what was going on in technology right at that point. Hence why Penton bought Internet World and spent millions of dollars and then basically sold it for 50 cents. Um, Because we were trying to take advantage of, of what was happening at that very small particular time, but there wasn't any large vision behind it. And it was a huge failure for us as we and so when i see something like this i don't say that it can't work i just i just think that if we're focusing on the tools and not what we're trying to really do for the customer um that's when things go wrong so i don't that's i don't exactly. see I mean, what that is you here. just said it right you just said it you 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 could not have said it any better because this is the this is the core of what we teach in our workshops and our classes and, and it's the core of marketing really which is don't talk about the thing you talk about the benefits of the thing you talk about why the what's the amazing wonderful experience for the customer going to be why does the customer care the customer doesn't care about things information going into a logo and coming out the other side in an optimized and better and artificial intelligence way that is if we're having that discussion then we're in the wrong discussion we should be talking about the amazing experience and benefits for the customer and that is that's just marketing 101 
And I don't care whether you're selling to employees or you're selling to customers or you're selling to the C-suite. That is that is ultimately the approach. And they just they didn't didn't do it. They didn't do it. And, you know, and calling the thing tronk was their I don't know, get off on a rant. But but yeah, that's but it does make me want to go watch the original movie Tron. And (laughs) and I think I'm going to do that. So thank you, you, Tronk. Yeah, that and the the original Star Wars. Absolutely. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, speaking of that, speaking of the original, we have an original, you know, in our usual slot here to talk about something, something wonderful. Well, um, you know, as as we've done for the past few years, Robert, we like to reserve a few spots before Content Marketing World for the big event. So this is one of those shows where we're going to talk about Content Marketing World, September 6th through 9th in Cleveland, Ohio, home of the... 2016 NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm sorry, I had, to, had to put that in. I actually said that on stage in London, and <laughs> I had one person go woohoo, and that was it. It's like okay, I know they're not big basketball fans, but I had to say. Right. Uh, PNR listeners can get $200 extra off attendance fees by using the code PNR200. That's PNR200. And if you are a B2B, B2C nonprofit, or even a small business, I urge you to come and attend this year and join. Over 4,000 marketers from 50 countries. This year, we have brands. I know, it's crazy. This year, we have brands speaking from Lego, GE, Google, Microsoft, Visa, IBM, Intel. I can't believe... Man, those are are nice names. Those are not... Those are not those are for real companies. Those yeah. are for real companies. They may do something may, in the world. They, they, they may actually. They, I, I'm, we're really pulling for them to, really, yeah. <laughs> to do something. That little Google company. Exactly. I'm hoping they're going to do something. Hopefully someday. someday. Uh, and 100 other sessions with the best speakers, authors, and thought leaders from around the world. And, of course, Mr. Mark Hamill will be our closing keynote. And Luke Skywalker. And Hall of Fame inducted uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cheap Trick will be performing as well. So again, the code for the two hundred dollars off. Right. Daddy's all right. <laughs> PNR two hundred. PNR two hundred. And I urge you to sign up sooner, actually, than later, Robert, because half of the hotels downtown are. I think more than half are already sold out. So yeah. if you're coming, get your act together because I don't want you staying in Pittsburgh. Okay, we want you to stay in Cleveland, Ohio. Contentmarketingworld.com. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, Robert and I will be speaking there as well, if we had to say Apparently. That. Yeah. That's the rumor. Both of us many times. So looking forward to it and hope to see very, everyone there. Very much. You got it. All, all right. That is it for that. And so let's go on to your favorite segment of the show, which is, of course, our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've just been kinged. Or something that makes us feel like we've been rooked. Um, and uh, let's see. I go first, I you guess, because first. I have this old marketing you this do week. do indeed. So I have a rave this week, and it's um, um, and it's truly a rave, um, and it's more of a tribute, I guess, than anything else. Um, the the did you are you a Prairie Home Companion listener? Do you, do you I, listen I, to the show? I, I read the article. No, I'm I'm not. I'm not. Sounds You're not. Like I should be. So for those of you who aren't, um, Garrison Keeler, who is the host of Prairie Home Companion, is retiring. Um, he is the long, I mean, really the original and only host of the Prairie Home Companion radio show. And he's going to have his last show here in Los Angeles at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, I will sadly miss it. Um, I would have totally gone, but I, I can't because I cannot move things that I have to do. But um, if you don't know, Prairie Home Companion, it's a variety show and really sort of one of the last of its kind. It airs on public radio, which is uh, national public radio here for those of you who don't live in the States, um, which is the sort of um, it's, you know, volunteer public radio um, funded that way. So they've got comedy sketches, uh, music, mostly folk music and bluegrass bands, which both of which I love. I love folk music. I love bluegrass. So it was great for that. And of course, there's always Garrison Keeler. He tells stories. Stories. And he tells stories. He has a whole segment, usually about 20 to 30 minutes long, and he calls it the news from Lake Wobegon, which of course is a fictitious town, and he calls it his hometown of Lake Wobegon. And the awesome thing about this show um, is the earnestness and just plain heart that this show has. It's I mean it's topical. It talks talks about topical things, Carly. Very rarely snarky, always has this really fun 
very clean, family-friendly, positive vibe about it. Um, there are no advertisements, but they do fictitious company advertisements. So they got the the perennial, you know, powder milk biscuits, which of course they do with a song that Garrison Keillor sings. Slogans like "Made by Norwegian bachelor farmers," so that you know that they're not only good for you, but also pure, <laughs> mostly pure. Certainly, the music was always a huge piece of it for me. The listening to all the great music and musical guests that they would have, um, and the show is going to continue, I guess, and we'll see for how long it continues, but. Mostly for me, and I have this sort of like a Pavlovian response to Garrison Keillor's voice. If you've never heard Garrison Keillor's voice, just Google it and listen. I mean, it's his voice has one of those things that you just you just want to listen to it. And it was just something that it would totally relax me. Um, it was really, really soothing. I started listening to Prairie Home Companion in the late 1980s, so that tells you how long I've been listening to it. Um, and I would drive back on my drive back from college on Sundays. I would drive back from home back to my college dorm on Sundays, and I would listen to it every 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 week. And of course, then I started recording it, and I started listening to it my on my way to work when I had a commute. And then, of course, when they started having podcasts, I basically was a podcast subscriber. Um, and I should note, by the way, when I started listening to it in the late 1980s, Garrison Keillor had already been doing the show at that point for more than 15 years. We're 40 years. He's been doing wow. this for 40 years um, from the show starting um, and doing it every single week. And just every time I hear the opening song, which is the Tishomingo Blues, which is just I get to, I just I just have this sort of relaxed mood that comes over me and the lyrics, you know, oh, I hear that old piano from down the avenue. So I'm going to miss his voice very, very much. I'm going to miss his voice on the radio. I'm going to miss his presence. But mostly what I'm going to miss is the news from Lake Wobegon because that was my favorite part of the show when he would tell this wonderful story. It was always an allegory of some kind. It was touching. It was usually funny. It usually made you think. It was basically heartfelt storytelling at its absolute finest. And it always made me want to live in Lake Wobegon where, as he would say at the end of every story, where all the women are strong, and all the men are good looking and all the children are above average. And so see you, you know, see you later, Garrison Keeler. I it's been a it's been a real pleasure. Oh, I have uh, I have not listened to one episode. Now I feel shamed that I have not <laughs> Don't feel ever. shamed. Just go just go just go 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 on YouTube and just put in news from Lake Wobegon. And you know, four or five or ten of them will come up. And just listen to one. Just, 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 just listen to one, and I guarantee you, you'll be a fan. It's just, it's just wonderful. All right, I'm on it. I'm on it. All right. So mine. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a rant or rave more than a commentary. I think you had sort of a commentary last week. I'm going to have a commentary uh, All right. this week. So as as we discussed, I spent the last week with my family in London, with many stops at various museums, and during a stop at the Museum of London. There was a special section just for the London London Gazette, London's first newspaper with their first issue from September 11th, 1673. Oh, my God. And that's something. So as I looked at this, I thought about the things we value and we keep as, as human beings. And that it would seem, you know, challenging to go to a museum in 100 years and view, let's say, the first native advertising placement online. You know, it's like, or the first you know, page of Yahoo or something like that. It just doesn't right. seem to have staying power. But what I'm, what I'm getting is, is that print continues to be perceived as more valuable than digital. At least that's what it seems to me. And I'll give you some examples. So, so then later that week, you and I just talked about this. My family and I were sitting at breakfast when the Brexit announcement came on and the prime minister resigned. And it was really amazing to see the emotion on some of the faces around us at the restaurant. Like, you know, something was being taken away from them. Now, later that day, as we were headed back to the hotel from the Tube, there were many people out distributing the the London Evening Standard uh, newspaper with the Prime Minister on the cover saying, we're out. I, of course, picked one up as a souvenir. Now, way more than the normal amount of people that from the previous few days were going after that newspaper. Probably wanted to have it or wanted to read it, whatever the case was. Now, sure, they had all this information on their digital devices, but the newspaper, in a lot of ways, made it real to them. That's interesting. So then I get home from the trip and was showered, and I really mean showered, I love my friends, was showered with copies from multiple friends of the Plain Dealer, uh, Cleveland's newspaper, of the copy after the Cavaliers won the championship. Of course, haven't happened in 52 <laughs> right. years. So everybody said, Joe's gone. We got to get him a copy. It was I didn't even have to ask. It's really unbelievable. So how many people came to the house with, uh, with uh, newspapers for that? So so that, and then a number of other commemorative editions 
two Sports Illustrated special editions. All in all, I think I have over 20 print copies now of various Cavs <laughs> editions here in print. Maybe which, a little overboard. A little, maybe, little bit. Maybe. But, you know, that's, maybe. you know, it, it, once in 52 years. I mean, you got to let, right. uh, let us do that. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. So then I'm going through my mail and I receive uh, Contently Quarterly. A quarterly magazine from one of our CMI sponsors, Contently. Sure. Um, It's 164 pages of beautiful design, innovative journalism around the practice of content marketing. I was was just looking at that, questioning, would I have reviewed the content if it wasn't in print? And sadly, or not, I don't think I would have. So just my take on all this. I mean, this all happened in one week. And, you know, we live in a digital society. There's no doubt about that. But as... I feel that the majority of brands are missing out on a huge opportunity by not delivering valuable, consistent experiences in the printed form. And I know I'm going to the tools thing, but I think because I've seen so many brands move away from print, uh, I'm almost saying, look, just don't move away from print because you want to be an innovative company and you think it, digital is innovative. Print can be very innovative, um, but I think there's an opportunity right now. I think that now maybe the best time in history to invest in print. And I know that's saying a lot, but I really believe that as it's harder to break through the clutter online. Uh, but to do this right, it it can't be one time. It has to follow the same practices of any great content marketing approach, targeting one audience, one particular content niche consistently delivered over time. And I, I guess if I was making a prediction, like I like to, as you know, I would expect to see a number of print launches announced by large brands over the next 12 to 18 months. So so all, all we're saying here is give, get, I, I want to sing give it. Print, all, we're print. Saying, all we are saying is give print a chance. Thank you. Thank you. Well, of course, we, we did spend some time at Abbey Road, so, you know, had to... Nice. There as well. So, any, anyways, that, that's that's my great. take. On you know, it. it's I. You know what? I, I think it is. I think it's. There's a. There's a. There's a permanence for sure with print, but then that permanence has value based on your history with the brand. So, for example, I have three copies, classic Rolling Stone covers, mm. framed here in my office. One of them is of John Belushi when John Belushi died. One of them is of John Lennon when John Lennon was shot. And the other is Prince when Prince released his first album. And so those are the three that I have framed. I have many more in my collection, but but basically those are the three that I have framed um, at the moment. And to me, there is a permanence there, but I associate that permanence with what is the classic Rolling Stone cover. And I think for you, like anybody could have printed that, the Cavaliers are world champions and put it on a piece of paper and stuck it in front of you. You're like, eh, great. But the fact that it came from the hometown newspaper yep. or the fact that it came from the, the guardian or the, the London newspaper that you picked it up from, that's what gives it the meaning, right? I think that's so true. Absolutely. So it's, that's where we're talking. That's where I think we're going to see. That's where the consistency yes. comes in, right? I mean, because you have to do it for a long time to build that relationship with your reader, with your audience, and then they start to associate you with the system of record for the history. Well, that's right? where the, the extension that you, well, that you share. Exactly. Well, that's where the extension comes in. I mean, let's just look at it for CMI. I mean, how long were we doing the blog? And we, we created thousands and thousands of subscribers, and then yeah. we launched the magazine. A lot of the people that got that were our, there were our audience already, and they got that, and they're like, "Oh wow, this is from CM. I want to engage in that." So it, it it leaves that opportunity. So I think that yeah, there's an opportunity for brand extensions in print from the from the core content brand. So yeah, exactly. There you go. Nice one. Yeah, I love wow. it. I love it that. It was interesting. I interesting week. Yeah, fascinating week. All right, so it is time for the namesake of our show, which is, of course, This Old Marketing. And we have a short one this week, and I'm going to preface this one by saying I absolutely loved discovering all of this content from this company, but quite frankly was really disappointed that I couldn't find anything. And I I know my Google Foo pretty well. I couldn't find anything about why they're doing it or why they did it. Um, and so the company that we're going to talk about, and I'll tell you a little bit about them. Of course, you've probably heard of them. You know Steelcase, sure, don't you? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so St- Steelcase is one of just a really cool company. Um, they were founded in 1912. They were called the Metal Office Furniture Company. And that's kind of how I always think of Steelcase as sort of 
lots of metal and steel in the in the furniture, of course. Um, and they've got tons of patents, and they were really one of the most innovative, and still are one of the most innovative furniture companies um, out there. If you've never seen their headquarters, they've got this awesomely cool sort of pyramid-shaped headquarters in Grand, uh, near, well, it's near Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and I actually, when I was out in Grand Rapids just recently, I got to drive by it, and it was just, you know, a really, really cool thing. You know, of course, they've had their hard times. They've had their good times. They are actually going through pretty good times now because they're, you know, they're they're one of the more innovative companies, and they have sort of reimagined themselves as more of an innovation center and a design centered company than really even a furniture company. And they've brought a lot of things um, to to bear to do that. Really changing the company culture. Um, really looking at the way that they look at innovation, the way that they even design their internal offices, um, and put out all these wonderful products. And so as I started looking around. And I came upon them because I came upon this magazine, this design magazine, quite frankly, called 360 uh, Magazine, and come to find out that it's actually Steelcase 360 Magazine. Beautiful, just a gorgeous print magazine that talks about office design, furniture, just design, really, in general. Just amazing, really interesting, innovative, and what's going on in design and designing workplaces. Um, And that's what I was kind of looking for when I started Googling around this stuff and started down this little rabbit hole um, that led me to Steelcase 360. 360. And so the Steelcase 360 magazine, beautiful print magazine, they're on issue number 70. So they've, you know, I'm going to assume that it's a at least a quarterly, if not monthly magazine, hard to see, hard to find out, quite frankly. Um, so they've been producing it for years. They've got a beautiful blog. Their blog is sort of wrapped in also the content brand of the 360 idea really talking about the insights and latest news around workplace design, not just furniture, but sort of workplace design, you know, designing things and the way that you interact with people in a, in a really interesting way. They have a podcast now, um, which is called uh, in Real 360 Real Time, where they do interviews and they, they, they promote this. It's not on iTunes for some weird reason. It's actually on, um, they just pu- publish it to SoundCloud, so I'm not sure what's up there. So, They've got all these really interesting, I mean, I'm the, I got to experience lots of the content. You know, I read the magazine, read through the blog, like four or five, six posts, read, listened to a few episodes of their podcast, and was just, I'm quite frankly, I just found it really great. And then I was just sort of like disappointed, quite frankly, that I couldn't find anything on it. I couldn't find an agency blabbing about it. I couldn't find them blabbing about it. I couldn't find anything that really talked about launching it or managing it. And so if anybody's out there that knows about the Steelcase content marketing program or whether they even consider it a content marketing program, I would love to hear about it. Um, but quite frankly, it's one of those things where I just think they're doing great work. And I hope it's I hope it's really working for them because I think it's a great example of this old marketing. I want You and I talked about this before. I wonder if it's sort of a separate publications division uh, and sort of separated from marketing. It doesn't appear to be. I mean, it, it appears to be a smaller operation because there's lots of the same names going around in the blog authors, the podcast host, and and certainly the editor of the magazine. Um, so it seems to be a smaller corporate-produced operation um, but it's hard to tell whether it's actually just a separate thing or whether it's actually within the company and sort of integrated in and all that. The, the content is integrated into the web. All the digital content is integrated into the website. Like the blog looks like the website okay. and, and all of that. So it's it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud them for what they're doing and for how long they've been doing it. It's just really hard to Well, maybe, maybe we have a listener from Steelcase. Maybe. They can, they maybe. can share, shed some knowledge so we can have part yeah. two to this Wonderful story. That would be awesome. Well, a, uh, awesome. a little birdie told me that someone has a big week oh, this dear. week. Yeah, I have. Yes, tomorrow is, uh, yeah, my 50th time around this thing we know the sun. So, um, yeah, so it's my 50th trip around the sun, and I'm super happy to be staring at the bottom <laughs> of a margarita glass in about uh, 12 hours. Yeah. There you go. Well, have a wonderful birthday, my friend. Thank you very and, much. I appreciate uh, that. I know you'll enjoy yourself. And as we talked about, so much, uh, you know, you're, you're not even halfway through yet. I mean, it's... it's not it's, even halfway through. No, I got a lot to have, do. We have a lot I got, to... I got tons to do. I got emails coming in even as we record this. So I got stuff to do. Exactly. I'm going to take a few days off just to sort of relax and sit and 
contemplate my navel and all of that kind of stuff. But, uh, but then right back to work and, and getting going because, um, well, we have a get together coming up yeah, and, um, just a couple for, weeks. for the team. And you then, you know, and July is going to be a surprisingly busy month for me. So all, all great as we lead up to content marketing world. All right. We'll have a, yeah, have a wonderful week and, uh, and you'll have to fill me in on all the margarita mixes. <laughs> I you, certainly you have. will. All right. <laughs> I, I definitely will. That is it folks for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 137, do consider subscribing on iTunes or stitcher.com. And you know what? Leave us a review. I just went over to the iTunes channel and saw that we've got a lot of great reviews, but we need more. We need more reviews. The reviews have slowed down of late. So give us a great review, would you? And, uh, or, you know, go to another show and leave a bad review. Um, and <laughs> let us know, by the way, if you do that at hashtag this old marketing so we can thank you personally for that. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to our little nonsensical show that we do every week. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Please tweet us up at hashtag this old marketing. And if you've got a question, you want to send us an email, you can always get us at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available within the show itself as we go to publish on Monday night. And then, of course, on the show post in more detail on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.